0: Now we want to hear Jesus' words from Matthew, chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of the Lord for you as it comes from the 25th chapter of Matthew. Jesus said, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What if? What if if only anybody ever played that mind game? What if if only such games are non-productive unless we learn something from that thinking. We cannot go back and undo what has been done, but we can learn from that experience. A character in a novel <clears throat> said What happened is not what matters. What matters is what happens next. Of course, that is only partly true. What happened does matter, and so does what happens next. I still play the what-if game. I think it was ninth or 10th grade, and geometry was not my subject. I could not memorize those theorems for anything. I could get them long enough for the quiz. But then there was that (coughs) final exam in June. And when that beautiful June day came, the exam was going to be on a Monday. So that meant I had all weekend long to cram and learn all those theorems and be able to to do a good job on the exam. But I also had a choice. I said, do I really want to stay cooped up in that house all beautiful weekend? Nah. I'm going to go out and have some fun with my friends. So I spent the weekend at the swimming hole and just enjoying my friends. Then comes Monday morning. The exam was still there. And I got to take it. And bless Ms. Buford's heart, she was the best, most patient, strictest teacher I think I ever had. But she was also gracious, which I did not know until I opened that exam and saw it was the easiest test she could have given us if I had only studied. If I had only studied a little bit, I would have gotten much more than that D she graciously gave me. So what I learned from that was what if I had studied? I would have done a much better job on that exam. So I now know that always I need to try my absolute best. That was a life lesson for me. It was not a crucial what if. It certainly was not as life-changing as the what if when my father died when I was 12. I could do nothing about that. That happened. I could have done nothing. But it did affect my future decisions. Now, those are just a couple of the questions I ponder and, for me personally, were important. But they're even more important, critical what-if questions, even critical for the world. What if, what if America had not taken action against Hitler? What if the Hitlers of history and of today were allowed to take over country after country after country? What if men and women had not taken up arms to defend freedom? Those debates have been going on forever. Is the war just or not? Should we be involved or should we keep out of the battles? That discussion is held over TV and newspapers and parties and lunches. And the church is no novice to this discussion. Some of our great historical theologians, St. Augustine, John Calvin, Reinhold Niebuhr, weighed in on that debate. And today we still have not settled on the Christian answer. Of course, the Christian answer is for peace. But should we enter into a battle or not? Now, there are many individual Christians who have decided what we should do. And I would venture to say within this very congregation, there are hawks and doves sitting side by side. And that itself is a testimony of who you are. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can agree to disagree and live in peace. Opinions about war may change from time to time and from war to war and from generation to generation. But one thing about war we in these United States should always hold fast, and that is our appreciation for the men and women who have fought and are fighting the wars for us. Unless we have been in the battles, we cannot begin to imagine the horrors of war. We may get an inkling of what it is like when we watch movies or see news clips on television or read newspaper articles. But we can never, never know the depth of fear, of pain, of courage, of loneliness experienced by the men and women in battle and those who are experiencing it today. For in this sinful world, wars still rage even though over a century ago we thought we had experienced the war to end all wars. After four years of fighting, World War I came to an end in 1918. At the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, they laid down their weapons to end war forever. So November 11th, became known as Armistice Day, and it was a day to be observed with thanksgiving and prayer and activities that would preserve peace. Never again would nations pick up armaments to fight one another. And 20 years after the war ended, Congress voted to make Armistice Day a federal holiday. Unfortunately, the word armistice was more descriptive than recognized at the time. According to the dictionary, armistice is defined as a temporary suspension of hostilities by the agreement of the warring parties. And before we could fully absorb the blessings of peace, along came Hitler and World War II. All too soon, we realized that the laying down of weapons was temporary. And so Congress in 1954 decided to change Armistice Day to Veterans Day. So tomorrow, the 11th day of the 11th month, we observe Veterans Day. And today, we thank you veterans for your service. Because of your sacrifice and that of your families, we are able to be here freely worshiping our Lord Now, whether or not we believe we should be involved in wars, we need to remember those who do go into combat. In this country, we can express our opinions because of men and women who have gone to the front lines to gain and maintain freedom, including our freedom to serve our Lord or not. We can choose to obey God or we can choose not to obey God. Just as Joshua presented that decision to the Israelites, he very clearly posed the question, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then right now choose, make the decision. Jesus also tells us to choose and to choose without delay. The parable of the virgins poses that choice. Remember, it is a parable that Jesus told, one that expresses a particular point. Often when people read this parable we run down various rabbit trails and we get caught up in too many details wondering well well why 10 why 10 virgins and why are half prepared and half not and and why are they sleeping in the first place and what store back then would they have gone to at midnight to buy oil there wasn't any Walmart We could spend hours researching such details But by doing so, we might well miss what God's word is telling us. To get the message, there are some details that are helpful to understand. Just who is Jesus describing when he says the bridegroom, the virgins, the betrothed? And what is the oil? Of course, we recognize Jesus as the bridegroom, both Matthew and the Apostle Paul, And their writings make such references. The virgins, the betrothed, are the believers. That's us. Everyone who trusts in the saving grace of God through his son are the ones waiting for the bridegroom, Jesus, to arrive. And then there's that oil oil is our faith, our faith in our Lord. So then that tells us the parable is about Jesus, (coughs) about us, and about our faith. This message is about those who are waiting for Jesus to come. Are we ready? And even if he were to come right now, would we be ready? According to the parable, some are ready, some are not. And then I have to ask the question, why are those who are prepared not gladly share their oil with the others? But remembering that oil is a symbol of faith, we realize that faith cannot be shared. Oh yes, we can tell others about Jesus, about our faith, and we should. But we cannot give our faith to anyone else any more than we can give our ability to sing or paint or memorize geometry theorems. Sure, we could help someone learn to sing, to paint, to do math, but it is not possible to give them what we have. Sharing faith is not like giving blood. We can't just transfuse it to someone else, although there are times when I wish I could. It simply doesn't work that way. Each individual accepts or rejects God's grace in Jesus Christ. And each of us chooses how we are sharing our faith or not. How do we share our faith? We do by what we say, what we do. What our behavior is. Faith doesn't have to be some grand, magnificent statement or action. Faith sharing is in the simple, in the ordinary. It happens in your coming to worship together, it comes in telling others that, yeah, I watched the Panthers game, but I went to church first. You share your faith by your prayers, by requesting prayers for one another. Because when you ask for prayer for someone, that says you have faith and belief that God will answer that prayer. And we have seen many, many occasions of that happening. You also share your faith by the smiles and the hugs that you give. You share your faith by going to men's breakfast or Presbyterian Women or participating in Room in the Inn, or Bingo, or the other activities and ministries of this congregation. It is because of men and women who defend our freedom in this country that we do have the freedom to share our faith or not, to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or not Now we may wonder about many what ifs in our lives but there's a what if that has eternal consequences what if we don't trust in our lord what if we don't share our faith What happens next?